over without PowerPoint and uh, drove in today and realized that I hadn't even changed the sign uh, outside. Uh, not typically, uh, typically that when that happens that's because it's too cold, but that's not the case this week. Um, I've been a little bit preoccupied. Uh, for those following me on Facebook, I've been posting a lot from uh, the church in Ukraine where we were. Uh, so they met this morning, um, and uh, it was it's fairly peaceful there. Just to, just to give a quick update, uh, and if you go to my Facebook page, you can get more updates. Um, I can't do them constant because I'm not in constant communication. They do have a life over there beyond talking to me. Uh, but um, I'm in connection with two congregations in um, in in one in Kiev and uh, and one in Nikopol where we were. Nikopol is a little rural town, kind of. Uh, and uh, I'm on. I'm not on. Getting the sign. Am I on now? Oh, yes, I am. So. Um, <clears throat> so the uh, the both met peacefully. The the one in in Kiev has a little bit more going on in, in, around them. Um, but uh, this morning they had two baptisms, um, and uh, and the church that Katie was saying that the the church in Nicopol, a family that had left a long time ago, suddenly was back. So uh, not that not that it's a good reason to have a war uh, in your country, but when when things like this happen and you realize um, you know the things that you thought were important aren't really so important. Uh, and, and spiritual things uh, come back um, to the forefront of your mind. So, um, <clears throat> so with that, I just wanted to give an update. Um, we'll get to our message here. Um, we're talking about buzzwords, and we've been talking about the the things, the ideas that people come up with that think that they're so new and so wonderful, and. Really what we find is that the ideas that are new and wonderful really were new and wonderful a couple of thousand years ago when Christ thought them up. Um, the ones that he didn't think up probably aren't really that wonderful. So <clears throat> with that, um, a few years ago we um, took our kids to wellness visits. That's a thing. So take the kids, uh, at least the younger three, we took to, um, uh, to wellness visits. And <clears throat> of the younger three... Only Julian was on the scale for weight and height. Right? The other, the other two were <clears throat> not, not. They weren't even close. So the 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 doctor that was that we saw was doing her residency at the local clinic of whatever, and and uh, and so she wanted to put Anthony on Pediasure, uh, and I'm like, okay. And she actually wanted Adelaide to do blood work. Like, well, that's definitely not happening. And uh, so uh, I think an older doctor, and I was just sitting there, like, you know, here's a person sitting there as a doctor or whatever, and, and, and she only knows her in her limited what she was taught in the school and what the book said and, and what the charts say. That's what she knows. An older doctor would have said, hmm, parents not so tall, not so big. Okay, I think we're, we're fine. Looks good. Uh, they look active. They, they don't look like they're, you know, struggling here. You know, th- there's not really, we don't need to go poking needles in arms. Um, and I think that's the difference between having experience and, and things. But um, connected to that, it will seem completely unconnected. Um, I grew up, I loved baseball. Love baseball. It was my favorite sport. 
uh, I played it, and uh, not great, but I played it, and, and I, I followed it. Uh, an evening for me uh, in high school, since I didn't really have any friends uh, when we lived in New York, was to go get a big uh, foot-long steak and cheese sub, a two-liter of, of soda, and, and then I'd sit in my chair in my room with my, I had a huge boom box, and, and listen to a Yankees game. And that, that was... It, that was that was that was my first three years of high school, uh, at least in the in the spring and summer. It was the first sport that I really uh, I really gave up, which was strange because I loved it so much. And uh, they started analyzing things to death somewhere, and and, and maybe you know this or maybe you don't, but uh, it, it used to, now it's all about data and. Uh, so I grew up, I listened, you know, in the late 80s, I listened to Ricky Henderson stealing bases like a couple times a game all the time. And, and, and now, well, if you steal a base, your chances of getting thrown out at second are way more. It's better to just stay there and let someone hit you over. Now, that's become even worse. Now they say, well, if you sw- it's a lot easier to swing for the fences and try, every time up there, just try to hit the hit a home run, and you will. Uh, it's a lot easier to do that than, than to try to hit a single and then a double and get one run in. And, and so, so statistics now, that what they say is, uh, so what that's produced is a baseball game where everyone swings for the fences and it goes something like this: strike out, strike out, strike out, strike out, home run. Strike. That's boring. And I'm sorry, I don't care how much I love baseball, I cannot watch that. Right? And it's all about. Data. That's what we're talking about, data. And guess what? That's come into the church. When we have a thing called a data-driven. You know, hear that phrase, data-driven. We are a data-driven industry. We are a data-driven this. And there's the data-driven church. And that sounds wonderful. There's all sorts of data. Doctors and baseball teams are, are no different. <clears throat> you get... Young kids come out and they've got a, a major in theology and a minor in business, and they're going to run the church like a business. I'm not saying we should be ignorant of things, <clears throat> but I want to look at what God thinks about these ideas. The church is certainly driven by information, but we're going to talk about what kind of information it's driven by. Here's another a word or a phrase that, that you might have heard heard of, actionable insight. Anybody know what an actionable insight is? That just means practical information, practical application. Um, so uh, this, is, this is one, uh, when you hear, by the way, when you hear phrases like data-driven and actionable insight, um, you really need to Steer your coworkers away from this. Actionable insight. Anybody know what the word actionable means? Okay, actionable has nothing to do with application. Actionable is a legal word, and it means I have legal grounds to sue you. It's actionable. That's what it means. So tell your coworkers that they are using the word incorrectly if you hear this in the workplace. Um, but it's supposed to mean practical. I, I see some information, and we need to do some action based upon what we have concluded. So this phrase was created by a person who heard the word but had no idea what it meant. 
I want to talk about the data we need. I want to open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's your data. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse you all know really well. We're going to try to maybe uh, analyze it a little bit more. Verse 16 and 17. He says, All Scripture is breathed by God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So question, if every good work, work is action. If every good work that I am supposed to do can be discovered through scriptures, then what information is there that I need other than that? Goose egg. All scripture equips me for every good work. That means there's no other good works that I need other sources of information for. And I'm going to illustrate this in just a second. Um, but I want to look at the four elements that he gives here. Because he, he goes right in order. He says, um, first of all, the scripture, this, this comes from God. And it has four things it's useful for. And the first one is doctrine. This is the actual factual hard data. This is information. This is what God thinks about this topic. Right? This is the, the information about uh, the definition of God. Or this is the, the, how I define sin. This is how God defines this. Like all the definitions of things. That's what doctrine really is. This is, this is what you need to know about this Thing. These are the facts. But that's not all that the scripture is good for. That, that's just one aspect. <coughs> he says, okay, now we're going to get to the reproving. What is reproving? Well, in, in math, remember, oh, uh, be, before seventh grade, you couldn't use calculators, right? Remember that? And, and you had to do all your work and show your work to the teacher. You couldn't just, you might have been really smart and you could do it in your head, but you couldn't. You had to show your work. And when you did your math, you had, it took a long time because you had to do the problem, but then you had to check your work. So if it was a division problem, then you had to multiply and make sure that the answers matched because then something was wrong. Right? This is reproof. God says, God says it, the scripture is good to check up on yourself and make sure. In other words, uh, if you, you come to an opinion, right? you, you come to an opinion on, on this verse, and, and we read, some, we, we're in, in 1 Corinthians, and some of those verses are hard. It's like, I don't understand this. Well, guess what? The, 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 the scripture is so wonderful, because if you're off somewhere, if your numbers, you, if you think, ah, I don't know about this, there's going to be another scripture somewhere that points that out, where, where that scripture is going to be totally off. Now, you've screwed it up over here. Well, it might look good over here, you might think, I did a wonderful job on this math problem over here in, in, in Romans. Okay, if that's the case, then, then when we read James, James should agree with what you just said. And if he doesn't, you've got a problem. I've checked up on myself. I've, I've reproved myself. Okay, well now where are we at? Well, 
I talked I talk last week about the book of John. Just read the book of John, Andrew. It's good for reproof. You've you got this guy saying all this stuff over here. If you just read the book of John, it'll, it'll prove itself. Right? It's wonderful how that works. So we move on to correction. And this is the actionable part of the insight. I've gained all this insight. And these, actually the last two have to do with, with the actionable part of this, if we were to use the word incorrectly. I'll just keep with the, the modern buzzword here. I can correct some things now. Now I know where I should be. Right? You, you, go on a, you go on a trip somewhere, and, and you just, you're on a plane, and you don't realize what's happening. Um, you just get on the plane, and then you get off the plane, and you don't realize that, that they are constantly correcting the flight because the wind is constantly pushing them off. If you go in a boat, you'll, you'll know this. You go fishing on a boat. You're like, ho, oh, I'm right next to the dock. How did that happen? I'm like, I'm going to crash this other guy. Because you don't even realize this. It's just, oh, I've drifted. I've drifted. It's so easy to drift. You, we just kind of do and do and do. And God says, okay, here's the information. Now you need to make the course correction. You've drifted. And this is the correction part of the scripture. And then he says, finally, okay, we've got everything sorted out. Now we need to make the practical thing. We need the instruction in righteousness. We need to stay on this course. Going forward, in other words, how do I maintain the life that I'm intended to have? How do I train other people? It's good now to train other people. It's like, these are the lessons I've learned. This is what the scripture says. So you see, this is not just a kind of a verse where everything is redundant. And, oh, the scripture is good for a doctor. Blah, 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 blah. Let's move on to the next. This is a really detailed verse. And it shows that from beginning to end, everything there is absolutely for you to do in this life, any, any area of your life, you need one source of information. The capability of this information is to thoroughly equip you for every good work. There's a, a church, <clears throat> I was reading, doing some of this stuff, and you just, I just Googled data-driven church, and I just knew what I was going to come up with. The guy made an interesting point. He said, you know, we uh, in our in, in the church where we had uh, were that um, we thought our problem was that we weren't getting new people visiting. Now stop for a second. <laughs> they have a problem right away uh, that they think that the church is about people visiting. It's not really what it's about. I'm not against visiting. We have visitors, and I love visitors. But that's not what the intent of the church was. Uh, so he's, he's kind of off a little bit right there. But okay, let's, let's just put that aside. But he said, we did a study, and what we found, and this is a problem, was that people were, we had lots of visitors. People weren't coming back a second time. We thought, there's a problem. We need to address this, right? So data. And we made some corrections, and we, we're noticing different things. Okay. Was that valuable? Okay, it's valuable. This is, this, but this is what Paul is saying. The scripture, all scripture, is given 
to accomplish this. You didn't need a chart to tell you that you need to be kind to people when they walk in the door. You didn't need a chart to do that. If you had been doing what this said, your chart would have been useless. If you would have been listening to God from 2,000 years ago instead of the survey that you did, or whatever, from 2020, you would have been already accomplishing those things. That's the point. It's not that the chart was wrong, but, but how, you didn't need it, in other words. The scripture was there. We need to spend more time in scriptures, not in charts. Now, I'm not saying that we're a data-driven church. But the application is here. We'll avoid a lot of those things if we're constantly making those course corrections through a look at the scriptures. If I'm making people feel like they're a part of a home and not a house like we talked about. If it's not coming to a, a, a building. If it's coming to a home. And I think we do that here. I think that's, that's been one of the comments that I've, I've heard from people who've come and stayed. Is that we do that. So we don't need a chart. If we ever need a chart, then that means we're doing something wrong. I want to talk about another word that you've heard about outsourcing. Outsourcing. Outsourcing means you let somebody handle some aspect of your business. It allows you to free up resources. and um, You focus your staff on a particular thing. And we don't really need to do this. We can have some, pay somebody and let them do this. Okay, that's wonderful. A lot of companies do this because they need to do this. And a lot of companies do this because it's popular and you think... Well, we got a new guy, and, and, and he wants to do this thing because he learned in college that this is what people do. Case in point. I was driving home, and I, I, this is like maybe two or three months ago. And uh, uh, I forget what the situation was, but uh, I, got, I got stuck at the one side of the train, and I, we needed groceries. I needed to get something real fast, and... And I wasn't going to get there, and we were going to have to, I think it was, it was like a Wednesday night, and we weren't going to be able to have time really to do a lot of cooking and stuff, so I was kind of in a little panic before church, and uh, so I was like, you know what I have not done since like college? I have not called Domino's Pizza. I have not done that since college. So I'm like, I have not ordered a pizza delivery in forever. I called Domino's, and I got a call center in India to take my pizza order they were then going to forward that to the local whatever the local thing is and then they were going to have the order it was going to be about 45 minutes I'm like it, I was on the phone with them for 20 minutes there were technical difficulties that I'm like you know it would have been a lot easier if I could have just called the local Domino's that's about two miles from my house that would have been a lot easier. Now, this is outsourcing. I want to make things easier. Uh, and, and then what ends up happening is, is, uh, is this love for this stuff ends up uh, making, it, uh, making it more difficult. Kind of like some of you come up here to read the Bible on your phone. And there's those long, awkward pauses in the Bible. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
I, see, I, I don't know who it is because uh, I've seen it a number of times. He's like, you know, this thing always, it's like I can flip there. Sometimes the pages are sticky, but, you know, it is, it's pretty easy. All this stuff that we do to make things so much easier it ends up tends to make things harder. I have not once today had to, like, have problems with the, with the PowerPoint. Like, oh, my goodness. Have you noticed that? Maybe that's a trend that we need to start. But um, sometimes people outsource their information. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Acts 20. I, I think this is such a... Really, when you look at this, this passage... It, it, it says a lot in, in a little bit. Acts chapter 20. And I'll get there, speaking of sticky pages. Verse 28. Therefore, pay attention to yourself and the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, that's not the right one. Oh, yes it is. Okay, sorry, my bad. Okay. Let me back up and we'll get there. Um, let's get a whole sentence in here. It says, Indeed, I know that uh, you all, among whom I have preached the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourself and to the whole flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departure wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So watch and remember, therefore, that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, day and night, with tears. And, and this is the reference to, to outsourcing to, to other people. We're just going to turn over the teaching of the congregation to people. We're not going to verify who they are. We're just going to let them. We just outsource. It's easier. And God says, this is why he has the structure he has to maintain the proper teachings and the proper doctrine that we read about in Second Timothy. This is vital to maintaining the church. Oh, it's so easy to look at a church. They have a prominent person or people. And those people make the decisions for the church. And we just outsource everything to that person. This person's popular. This person knows what they're doing. I'll just, whatever I believe, I'll just quote him. All right. So, uh, it might, it's not necessarily a person. It can be a group. All right. So, you're familiar with the phrase uh, Westminster Confession, or the Missouri Synod, or whatever the, the the phrases you're familiar with. Right. Those are all phrases that say we have outsourced our beliefs to Westminster or Missouri or whatever group of people, to Rome, to whatever. 
right? You're suddenly, uh, what do you believe on this? Well, um, I, I call you up and ask, uh, I want to find out what you believe on something, and I, I, uh, I get put on a call center to, to Rome. I go, I don't, I, why am I talking to Rome? I want to talk to you. Right? Know what you believe for people. Don't outsource your information. We don't notice this in ourselves, though. It's easy to, to notice when churches do that. Um, how many of you have a library, a, a religious library, and it's got like a lot of books by one author in it? Don't raise your hand. That's an indication you might be outsourcing your opinions to one person. Oh, I like Francis Chan. I've got every one. I've got Max Lucado. Someone mentioned Max, Max Lucado. I've got every Max Lucado book. Just a person. You might be outsourcing. Uh, I, I get this blog. I, I get on this uh, this podcast or this thing, and I, I subscribe to this person's podcast, and I listen to them all the time. Maybe you're outsourcing. Do you quote them all the time? Do you ever disagree with them? Make sure you're disagreeing with them because they're a person. They're not right all the time. Better to have a bunch. Acts chapter 17, just a, a few pages prior to that. Verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Because they received the word with readiness and searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, this is interesting. Because here's an apostle preaching to them. And they didn't just go, oh yeah, Paul said such and such. They checked up on an apostle. That's important. But Paul was inspired. Yeah, but they didn't know that. And they, the, the phrase trust but verify, that's this right here. This is trust but verify. We trust you. Sound good. We're going to check it anyway. <coughs> trust but verify. If you can do it with an apostle, you can do it with anybody. Some things sound good. Underneath it can have subtle errors which are dangerous. Prosperity doctrine. Joel Osteen, Joyce, whatever her name is. Pluralism, which is, or, or you've heard of the uh, interfaith movement today. Right. If you hear, by the way, if you hear the phrase emerging church, run as fast as you can. That's a part of this whole thing. In fact, if you hear a lot of phrases with vertical church, liquid church, that church, I don't know what any of those mean. Run as fast as you can. There's the, the idea of the subtle will of God. If you've read the uh, Purpose Driven series by Rick Warren, run as fast as you can. They're subtle. They say a lot of good things in there. I have his book on my bookshelf. Haven't read it in about 16 years. There's good stuff in it. I'm just saying it's a skin 
to slip a lot of other stuff in there, and you've got to verify the information in it. Last one. Last word. Lived experience. I have a lived experience. Now, this annoys me for a different reason, and that it's redundant. I don't know what other kind of experience you can have <clears throat> other than if you've lived it. I can't have non-lived experience. I can have non-lived opinions about things I've never done or whatever, and I can have a lot of ideas about those, but once I've lived it, I have the experience, right? I can't you know, you look for a job interview, and a man with five, five years' experience needed. Well, that's because you've lived and done it. I can't say, well, I have an imagined experience for five years. I've imagined myself. It doesn't work that way. So that's annoying. But what does it mean? Well, the idea is, is it almost in direct contrast to the idea of outsourcing, which is funny because the same people like both. But it, the definition goes something like this. Um, we want to use or draw on our own experiences and, and not, uh, what's the phraseology? I'm trying to think. I didn't write it exactly down. but uh, And not borrow from established constructs of other people. Right? Another, anytime, first of all, anytime you hear the word construct in a sentence, you want to run. That's just, just practical information. Because the word construct, whenever you hear that word, what that is, is telling you is we want you not to tell me what to do. That's what that's about. You have a construct. You have a, a, a rigid idea about what should be. We don't like your construct. So we like our lived experience. In other words, it's true for me. See, I don't like what's true for you. I like what's true for me. And it, it, we've talked about that uh, when we talked about um, uh, absolute truth. These ideas that, that everything is subjective. It's the same concept. Lived experience. My lived experience teaches me things. Well, there are, there is practical things that you learn from experience, right? You, you learn, uh, I, in my experience, I can hear things because I've, I've done, oh, I hear this person saying these things and, and I kind of know what they mean. But lived experience will never give me, ever, nothing I will ever learn from my experience will tell me the right moral thing to do. That comes from one location. All scripture is breathed by God. Those, those lived experiences will tell me maybe something's out of order, but it will not tell me how to correct the problem. Right. I want to look at the invalidity first of lived experience. 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1. Verse 19, beginning... He says, we have a prophetic word confirmed, which you would do well to pay attention to, like a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. 
For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is the same idea as, as Timothy. It's just written different. Holy men were moved by God to say the things they said. It didn't come around because man thought up, you know what would be a good thing to put in there? We should have this idea. That's not how it started. So since it came from God, you're not going to go, you know what, we want to interpret it the way I like it. I, that was for them then, but I like it for me now, this way. You cannot do that. He says it's not a private interpretation. You don't get to have your own little personal interpretation for you. It's universal. It means what it means. Lived experience has crept into the Christian world. It says, experience, my experiences, my culture, all of that determines what I should think about the Bible. And lived experience has been used since Genesis chapter 3 to do all the wrong things. And they saw that it was appealing to the eye, and it was good for food, and it could make you wise. So she took an eat. That's lived experience. Our lived experience says these three things. And that's where all the problems start. Lived experience. As forming a justification or the basis of action. We have a sign back there I put up um, as you come up the stairs. It says, the, the will of God will not lead you where the grace of God does not cover you. God will not tell you and move you into a direction where he says, elsewhere in the scriptures, that's not really a thing I'm into. Won't do. Now, there is a validity of lived experience, and I, I referenced that. And I'll just quickly refer to these. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 tells us that Christ came. In fact, he had to come as a human, as we are, so that he could be a faithful high priest. Lived experience. There were valid things that, that Christ did because of lived experience. And throughout his writings, Paul draws on his personal experience. Oh, I was this person and I had this happen to me and we were starvation and there was all these things. But whenever he does that, he then says, and I've learned how to do things. And the things he's learned how to do are things that we learn through the scriptures. Spiritual Things that are defined for us. In fact, to some of the things he says, these are my lived experiences and, and I, I count them as rubbish. <laughs> I was a Pharisee, I was, a, uh, I was all this, and, and I, I, had, I had all these wonderful lived experiences and I really don't consider them to be that important anymore. What I need, my data, is the scriptures. That's what I need to focus on. That will tell me what I need to know. Well, concluding the series on, on modern philosophies here.
And as I, as I stated at the beginning, not all modern ideas are bad. It's just that the modern ideas that we put new words on were things that people have done for thousands of years. That Christ done. We, we started talking about some of these with, with Christ and his ministry. The idea to, to do things and live a... I mean, that's the idea of a scripture anyway, is to live a better way. To, to, to live in a, in a way that produces something and is not harmful to yourself. That's the entire concept. And yes, and eventually to have an eternal destiny. We want to be in information-driven. But we need the right source of information. It's not from me. It's not from people I know or people I trust. Um, it, it comes from one source. Um, I accept the things that are built on absolute truth. That's the first, first thing. I have to accept all the things that are, are built on bedrock principles found in Scripture. And then, once that framework is established, and I, I have that to work with, that's when my lived experiences become valuable. Because then I can say, well, here's a person going through this thing. I've been through something similar. Here are some of the things that I, I did within this construct of the scriptures within within this framework these doctrines these are what helped me that's where what I have learned through my life that's where those become valuable uh, so I, I hope this series has, has helped you just a, a different way of really looking at old topics um, uh, through the lens of, of things that people really consider to be new 